we were doing a series called Breaking Bad Habits, or things that, um, areas in our life where, you know, our hearts are affected and so we end up with the wrong attitude or the wrong behaviour. And we did, five, uh, we did four parts to the series. The first one was offence. Like when we get offended, how we get reactionary and we get bitter in our hearts and, you know, sometimes we can have the wrong attitude towards people and we talked about how really when we get offended, God tells us to get on the front foot and go and ask for forgiveness (laughs) and to reconcile relationships. And then the second week, we looked at addictions, things that, you know, grip our our lives and so we have behaviours in our life that are really detrimental to our well-being and how God wants us to live a holy life, not be you know, consumed by things that are really bad for our health, spiritual and physical. And then Matt tackled the topic of religious attitudes. You know, when we uh, sort of get like the Pharisees, we get high and mighty and, you know, we get all, you know, bogged down in rules and regulations that really aren't godly, they're just man-made. And we get all, you know, wound up about those sorts of things and that flows into the church and then we become something that we're not supposed to be. And then Matt again tackled the topic of rebellion, of how it's often sometimes difficult to submit to leadership and to walk under authority. And in our flesh, we want to rise up and retaliate, but really God tells us to work under authority in the home, in the church, wherever we are, to respect authority and work with it. Now, I've got to be honest, there was a fifth part to the series, and I chickened out. And I chickened out because I know if I speak on this topic, you're going to get a reaction. And so I skipped it. And then as I was preparing this week, I had my sermon already and God said, Mark, go back and preach the fifth topic. Because you're not a prostitute. You're not selling yourself out. You're teaching the whole counsel of God. And if I tell you to teach something, then teach something. Now, I've never spoken on this topic before in my life because... I've wrestled with it. I've got a victory in it now, but I know what it used to be like to sit where you are and hear people talking about it because I know my reaction would be, shut up. Who are you to tell me anything? So my disclaimer today is that don't get angry with me. (laughs) Don't shoot the messenger. And this was the verse that really got me this week. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Mark, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. All. So that's sort of a bit of a background. And it came, my reflection was on this passage this week. This is where it came out of. A man ran up to Jesus and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And this man said to Jesus, teacher, I've kept all those things from my youth until now. And looking at him, Jesus felt a very deep love for him and said, well, one thing you lack, go and sell your possessions, all you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. 
But at these words, the man was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Now, we've all heard that story before. Now, the fact that that young man was able to say, I haven't, I've kept that, I've kept that, I've kept that commandment, I've been obedient in all those things, to me is amazing that he'd been so faithful in those things. But Jesus knew there was one thing that had control of his life, that unless he was willing to surrender and face that thing, he could never really follow the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. And so he pushed, put his finger on that one thing and said, young man, this is what you've got to do. If you can demonstrate to me that you can rid yourself of all those material things, then you'll show me that your heart is really for me. You can come and follow me. And Jesus gave him that choice. And he went, uh -uh. I know which one I love more, Jesus, I'm going to keep my money. So in the context of church life, who teaches us about wealth, about money, about stewardship, about how we handle our money and our possessions and our material things? Because if we let the world teach us, then we're going to end up with the world's philosophy. And the world's philosophy on money and tithing and stewardship and wealth is totally different to God's economy, totally different to God's way of teaching us and training us. But if you think about it, every one of us is affected by this topic. We're, we're all got money passing through our hands. We've all got possessions. We've all got things that we own or we're trying to own, whatever. And it affects our well-being. It affects us so much. How Whether we've got this under control or out of control really does affect us in terms of our you know, well-being as, as believers and as people. It affects our marriages. It affects our families. It affects our health. It affects what we spend our time doing. So it's a pretty important topic. And so if we're not going to teach our children and if we're not going to teach our teenagers, if we're not going to teach our young marries, if we're not going to teach you know, the whole body how to do this right, then who is going to teach them? Someone who's coming from an ungodly bent, someone who's coming from a selfish bent, someone who's coming from you know, a desire to lead us the wrong way. And so I want to talk, tackle this topic today. And it's the spirit of mammon. And some of you, if you're new in the Christian circles or you don't know a lot about the Bible, maybe you've probably never heard this word before because it's not used a lot in Scripture. And so I want to explain a little bit what the spirit of mammon is and then you will understand the context of where I'm trying to go today. And Jesus said this, he said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you cannot serve both God and mammon. Now, most of your translations, if you open them up, the word mammon won't appear there. It'll be the word money. And what's happened in the later translations of the Bible is they've substituted the word mammon for the word money. Now, it's not the right translation. It's not the right interpretation. It's not wrong, but it's not the fullness of what Jesus was trying to get us to understand. Because mammon is not dollars and cents. It's not notes and coins. It's not money. That's not the issue. The issue is the spirit of mammon behind money and finances because mammon is material wealth manifesting in avarice, which is extreme greed. And in scripture, mammon is personified as deity, as, as a false god, not just money, not just coins and notes. There's actually a spirit behind money and notes that wants to drive us to be ungodly with the things that we own. It actually comes out of the Chaldean 
God of riches. Remember when God said to Abraham, Abraham, leave the place where you live and go. He was from Ur of the Chaldeans. So this is a, a God that in ancient history was connected to, a demonic being that was connected to finances and wealth. And the word mammon is only used four times in the New Testament. And one of those times is actually a repeat. Matthew and Luke use it, the same verse twice. The Greek word for money is argurian, which means cash or a drachma or a shekel. It actually means the physical note or the coin. But the word mammon is a totally different word. It means mamenos, which is avarice or covetousness. And here's a few words I haven't had to look up. Cupidity, rapacity, which is mammon. So it's not money that's a problem. It's what stands behind that money that wants to make us use that stuff in such a way that it's not godly. It's ungodly. So when we translate that verse and just use money, it makes it sound like God and money can't coexist. But that's not true. God's not against money. That's not the point. The point is that God and another God cannot coexist. And so Jesus was trying to make the point that we need to understand it's the, the coins and the notes aren't the issue here. It's our attitude to those coins and notes. And what is driving our attitudes and our opinions about those coins and notes? Because money's neutral. Money can be used for good or it can be used for bad. So money isn't the issue here. So I'm not saying you have to empty out your bank accounts. I'm not saying go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. I'm saying let's have the right attitude to the finances that we have. So understanding that mammon is a demonic spirit controlling the world's philosophy on finances is a much more accurate interpretation and it makes sense that mammon and Jesus do not coexist. So Jesus was saying you can't serve finances and be greedy and have a world's philosophy about finances and then serve me because the two are in opposition. Either you'll love God and you'll hate the other or you'll love the other and you'll despise God. And so he's saying that the two don't reconcile together. You've got to get an understanding of this. Here's the other place that it's used in Scripture. This is Jesus teaching the Pharisees. I tell you, use mammon, or some of your translations will be unrighteous money, to gain friends for yourselves so that when you die, you will become welcomed into eternal dwellings. And I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? What are true riches? We'll answer that in a minute. And if, I, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Here's the repeat. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The Pharisees who loved mammon <laughs> heard all this and were sneering at Jesus and said, and he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. So mammon is a very strong spirit that rests on money and tries to control people's perceptions or attitudes and attachment to money so that it's steering us down an ungodly path instead of handling our stuff rightly under God. So Jesus is warning us, we Christians, that we are not immune from that influence. 
And if you look around in the world today, you can see that wrestle and that battle happening right around the world. So all money has a spirit on it. All money has a spirit on it. Either it's the spirit of God or it's the spirit of the world or mammon. So if if it's the spirit of the world, I'm striving after stuff for my own self-gain. It's not used for the purposes of God and it replaces our reliance on God. I need this stuff. I've got to have more. That's the world's attitude to money. That this stuff gives me identity. It gives me purpose. This is who I am. Whereas if it's the spirit of God on that money, it's ruled by and submitted to God. So we're a steward of that money and it's used for the purposes of God and it doesn't try to replace God. See the difference? So mammon promises you everything that only God can actually really give you. So if you have a nice car and a nice house, you're successful. That is a lie. That is a lie. But isn't that the world's lie? The more you have, the better you are, the more rich you'll be, the more famous you'll be, the more popular you'll be. So mammon promises you significance, identity, security, joy. It can't deliver it. It just promises you a lie because it's a demonic spirit that's behind this. Now, mammon is a spirit, and I can prove it, and it talks. Because if I said, now, let's take up an offering, some of you would go, oh, no way, mate. I'm not contributing. Who are you to tell me about my money? And see that what's happening? The reaction. It's the reaction that tells you what's driving your thoughts and attitudes towards money. Now, I know mammon talks because it used to speak to me. Whenever there was an offering, the worst in me would rise up and say, this is mine. You have no right to ask me for my money. And, you know, your vision isn't good enough, so I'm not giving to this church or whatever. It was really a control over my perspective of money that was upside down and back to front. And I realised I was just like that young man who came to Jesus and said, God, I'll do anything for you. I'll go anywhere. And God said, yeah, but you can't even do this. Are you really in allegiance with me? So mammon wants to keep us under the system of the world. Now, for those of you who studied Revelation, you will know when the Antichrist comes that he doesn't rule by the threat of nuclear war. He rules by the threat of not being able to buy and trade, not being able to use finances. So it's a spirit that operates behind all this stuff. We actually don't need more money. We need more of God. That's the bottom line. We all have money. We all will have money. We can all use money, but that's not going to get us to the end goal. The end goal is God. It's in Him that we have provision. It's in Him that we have security. It's in Him that we have identity, not in the amount of money that's in your wallet or the house that you own or the car that you drive. That's false thinking. Now, here's the point. For the love of money, the pursuit of the heart after money is the root of all kinds of evil, not money itself. There is a distinction. And some people, this is Christian people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So you get the point. You cannot serve two masters. So mammon is looking for servants. Mammon is looking for slaves, people that will be slaves to money, slaves to wealth, slaves to pursuing material things. And God is saying, I'm looking for servants. I'm looking for stewards, people that will rightfully handle wealth and prosperity and be faithful in little things. And if I can trust you with this, then I can trust you with real riches. And we'll discover what that is in a minute.
So how do we ensure we get the Spirit of God on our finances? Right question to ask? The Bible teaches that we give the first 10% to God and He redeems the rest. Think about that. When you get your pay packet, you take the first 10% and you give it to God. Why? Does God need your money? No. It's the principle of submission and obedience. And what God does is he takes that 10% and invests it into his church, but he redeems the other 90% that you're left with. When I mean redeems it, means God protects it, blesses it in such a way that the 90%, I can guarantee you, will go further than your 100%. (laughs) Am I pressing buttons? Bring the whole tithe into the house that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. You don't hear that very often in Scripture. God is saying, you can test me. I'll prove to you that I'm faithful in this. I'll actually prove that this works, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. And here's the other part of the blessing. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that he will not destroy the fruits of your soil or your vine in the field uh, so it shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. People say, I don't tithe because I don't have enough. You don't have enough because you don't tithe. That's the principle of God. You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you do tithe. Now, that makes no logical sense, does it? If your budget is, you know, a thousand a week and you get a thousand a week and you go, well, I can't give God a hundred. If I give God a hundred, I've only got 900 left. What's going to happen? You know what will happen? Your 900 will get devoured. Things will happen because God's not protecting that money. God's saying, no, the principle is be faithful. Now, the question we've got to get to is whose money is it anyway? That's another point that we'll get to in a sec. But God's really just saying, here's a biblical principle. Bring the tithe into the house so that there may be a church that can operate. That's the side blessing. But really, it's a personal blessing. And God's saying, I'm going to throw open the floodgates of heaven. And I'm going to bless. And I'll also not just bless, I'll protect so that it doesn't get eaten away. It'll go further. It'll stretch further. I know this is illogical thinking, but remember the kingdom of God is upside down and back to front. And so we need to do it God's way. And you can stand on that promise. He will bless you. I don't tithe because tithing is Old Testament. It's under the law and the law doesn't exist anymore. Well, in the law, you couldn't steal and you couldn't murder and you couldn't commit adultery and they're still wrong today. So why has tithing suddenly become defunct and the wrong thing to do? It's still a godly principle. It always has been. It always will be. It was in the Garden of Eden and it's still been going on to today. But we haven't taught people And we've manipulated people into giving rather than letting them understand the true blessing of And getting people to understand that when you're under the lordship of Jesus Christ, it's his money anyway. That's the difference. So if we fight bringing the tithe into the house of God, we demonstrate by our resistance that the spirit of mammon has already infiltrated our hearts. He's already got us thinking we can't do this. I don't have enough. Or why should I have to? Well, you don't have to. It's a choice of your own heart, but it demonstrates whether you're under the allegiance of God or you're not. 
in this area of your life. Malachi 3.10 promises us that through our obedience, there will be both blessing and protection. But if I say, God, I'm not tithing because I don't have enough, what am I really saying? I'm calling God a liar. I'm saying you're not able to provide. You're, you're not sufficient enough to me, for me in my life and for my family. So we're failing God's test of regular reliance upon Him. If you look throughout the world, this is the common denominator. Everybody has money going through their hands. And the enemy or God just choose to test us on this one thing. It's not really a money issue. It's got nothing to do with money. It's got where our allegiance is, where your heart is, your treasure is also. And, and Jesus is saying, this is just one way that I've chosen for all of you throughout Christendom to demonstrate your faithfulness to me and your trust in me and your belief in me and your reliance on me. And if you say, God, I can't rely on you to give you 10%, then you're really saying, God, I don't trust who you are. Because he will provide. He's promised that and you can stand upon that. We're actually missing the principle that this is not about, oh, I've got to give 10. It's about going, my 90 is going to go so much further than if I had the 100. That's the good news. This is not a bad news sermon. It's a good news sermon. It's actually saying, if you can get this principle in your life, then you'll be so much better off. There are two testimonies I've only ever heard about tithing. One is the people that tithe say, I'm blessed. The other one is the people that don't tithe say, I'm not blessed, I need more. <laughs> Why? Because the principle is put God first and you'll have more. And it's sort of illogical to get your head around it, but it's the godly way of doing it. So the 10% that God asks us to give does cost us. I'm not saying it's easy. It's a very hard thing to do in times like we live in where you know, disposable income is very narrow and we don't have a lot and there's single moms and there's people that are really struggling. But we do not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs us nothing. There is a cost involved. But we do it because we know that it's for our own well-being, it's to the glory of God. And he's not going to leave us high or dry. God is greater than any lack that we have, perceived or real. He is greater. We've got to believe that. He will provide. And the 90% we retain will now carry God's blessing and the 90% that we retain is protected by God. I'd rather be under that than be managing it all myself and hoping for the best. So it's worldly thinking to deny God what he's asked us to give him, which is his anyway. And we only, if we don't tithe, deny ourselves guaranteed blessing. It makes no sense. Why would we resist that? Why would we not willingly go, I'm happy to give 10% because I know that my 90 is just enlarged. It's, it's going to be sufficient because God's promising us. So this really isn't about money because if you think about it, the streets of heaven are lined with gold. So in God's economy, you know, the best that we could have is really just the streets of heaven are paved with gold. So really, it's not about money. God doesn't need the money. He doesn't need to take from us for his plans and purposes. He just knows that in the human heart, it's probably the number one test. Because if we're not willing to give out our coins and our dollars, then we won't lay our lives down. We will not follow him. And that was what happened with that young man. And it's a tragedy. That's why it's such a heavy topic. That's why it's so important that we talk about it. God doesn't need our money. It is simply what is common to all men. 
So the enemy or God use it to test us, to try us, to demonstrate our allegiance. Where your heart is, your treasure will be. Here's the point. The spirit of mammon is a demonic presence, a demonic attitude, a demonic philosophy, and it is already in the church because it manifests itself as the prosperity doctrine, which is a perversion of God's way of dealing with wealth and materialism and finances. It's an extreme view that if I give, God will protect me and everything will go all right and I'll get the best job and the best car and nothing will ever go wrong. It's a perversion of the actual truth. And what happens if you've got a prosperity mindset that when something does go wrong, you get angry at God because the washing machine broke down. But God, you promised me if I tithed and if I did this, nothing. No, he said he'll protect you. He didn't say you'll have a perfect world. And so you get angry with God. Remember what Jesus said? Either you will love the one and despise the other. (laughs) It's already happening. Why? Because God didn't say it will all go great, but he said, I'll be with you. I'll provide for your needs, not your wants necessarily. I'll do something. If you trust me, I'll demonstrate I'm trustworthy. And then the other extreme view is that the poverty doctrine is in the church. You can't have anything nice. If you drive a nice car or you've got material things, then you're not very spiritual. You you should deny yourself all those things. Well, that's not God's economy at all either. God's economy is the provision doctrine. It's God's biblical truth that he will provide for you and your family so that you can be a blessing with what you have in your hands. That's the truth of the scripture. So mammon wants us to be under the curse of financial bondage. God wants us to be submitted to his name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. So Jesus is just simply warning us that a deceptive spirit lurks behind the pursuit or accumulation of wealth and money, which can influence our heart attitude towards material gain and pervert our thinking and behaviour away from godly stewardship. And Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth because he knew that the struggle would be so great and so hard. So he said, if you can do without this stuff, you won't be tempted, you won't be struggling like you will if you have a lot of earthly things and you go after them. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal, store for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So the bottom line is we have to examine our personal handling and attachment to material things, knowing full well that a spiritual entrapment is set up for us to ensnare us and get a grip on our hearts, to bring us under the curse of a worldly thinking rather than a godly thinking. So what do we do with money? We'd be good stewards. Whether we have a little or whether we have a lot. The principle's the same. If you earn $10,000 a week and you put in 1000 it hurts as much as if you earn 1000 and you put in 100 It's fair, fair, right across the board. If you're a checkout chick at Woolworths, you give 10%. If you're a sales rep at wherever Sherry works, you give 10%. If you're a millionaire, you give 10%. It's just God's way of being fair to all of us and demonstrating that we will respond in that. So we give God the first 10% of what's entrusted to us whether we're a CEO or a checkout chick, it really doesn't matter. The principle's the same for all of us. Now, I'm not asking you to do something I don't do. 
And I'm not asking you to do something that Matt and Tanya do. It's the first thing we do with our, our wage that we get is we give back to this church. We bring the tithe into the house because we know that it works, that when I've got 90%, my 90% is sufficient because I know God has blessed my sacrificial giving and he's protected what is left over. You'll never get more if you're not faithful in the little. That's a principle we'll just look at very quickly at the end. So remember this, that Malachi said, bring the tithe. He didn't say give the tithe. There's a fundamental difference because you can't give something that doesn't belong to you. You can only return a portion of it. So the 100% is God's anyway. He, by his grace, he gives us the 100%. He gives us the capacity to earn, the capacity to receive, to labour. And then we go with that. The first thing we do is, as a, as a principle of our priorities is, God, here's the 10% that you've asked for. I'm just giving it back because I'm a good steward. I'm not greedy. I'm not hanging on to it. And I know the blessing that, and the principles behind it. So you either bring it or you shortchange God and you go, well, you can have 5% or you steal it because it's not yours. And God said, give it. So this bringing is an act of faith that actually releases us from mammon and shows that we serve God. It's a demonstration to the principalities and powers that the God that we serve is greater than our money. He's greater than our circumstances. He'll get us through. He's promised he'll never leave us or forsake us. His name is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. So it's on the faithfulness of who he is that I'm able to do this. If I look at it through my own eyes and my own reliance and my own self-sufficiency, I'll go, there's not enough. I can't do this. It's too much of a struggle, too much of a burden. And we all know finances are a burden. They truly are but they're not if you do it God's way. There's a release. There's a freedom. There's a blessing. You're able to look at things very differently through different eyesight. So what sense is there of robbing God? Really, if you know that giving 10%, your 90% is blessed and God's going to you know, take care of you, he's also going to stop the enemy from robbing what you do have, then it's, it's illogical to go, I wouldn't do this. You should do it with glee with joy in your hearts going, I'm the beneficiary of doing this thing. I'm better off for it. Now here's that verse again. I tell you, use mammon or unrighteous money to gain friends for yourselves so that when you die, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. We could preach a whole sermon on that topic, but it basically means take the world's money, use it for God's glory. Plunder the world for the kingdom of God. Do it God's way and use what goes through your hands to work for the kingdom. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So being faithful in the little is the only way to prove we are trustworthy of receiving more. Makes sense. And if you have not been trustworthy with unrighteous money, who will give you your own property? Someone else's property is what God has given us now. It's not ours. You and I don't own one skerrick of anything. It's been entrusted to us by God. God says, give me 10%. I'll bless you. I'll protect you. So if we say to that principle, no, God, we're proving ourselves not trustworthy in little things so we won't get more and we're actually taking God's property and saying it's mine. I can do with it what I want. 
So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth or mammon or unrighteous money, who will trust you with true riches? Now, what are true riches in the kingdom of God? God doesn't really care about the money. It's just a principle. He cares about people. So if you want to have a ministry where God entrusts you with people, you have to prove yourself faithful in little things like finances and God will open the door for you to be faithful to looking after what he values most and that is people. Do you see the principle behind it? If God can't trust us with dollars and coins and he can't trust us with the hearts and the lives and the well-being of people that are in bondage because we won't teach them right things because we're not even living the right things in our own life. Now, these two beautiful young ladies up there are my most valued possession. And one day, a young man is going to come and knock on my door and say, Mark, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? The first thing I'm going to ask him is, do you tithe? Not because I care whether he's got money, but I know the principle. The principle is, if he won't honour God first, then he won't honour my daughter. If he's not faithful in those little things, well, why would I trust him with my daughter? If he's robbing God, he's going to rob my daughter. I'm not pointing the finger at you, Jonah. (laughs) (laughs) But you see the point? You see the point? So when God looks at us, it's not really a money thing. Get this out of your head. But God just wants to see if we're faithful. Scott and Lorraine, are you faithful? You know, Dave and Bron, are you faithful? And when God sees that faithfulness, he goes, praise God, they get it. They get that in the little things they're faithful, so therefore I can go, here's more. Here's some people who are really struggling. Here's a church ministry, or here's a church, or here's a worldwide ministry. I don't know, that's up to God. But he will go, I can't trust that person. And I don't want someone taking my most valued possession if I can't trust them. I want to know that in their life, they've got it in order. And they're faithful in the little things. And I want to be able to give my best to them knowing that they're entrusted with it and will do the right things with it. And I guess God's asking us the same thing. Do we serve money or do we serve God? No one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So mammon is looking for slaves, but God is looking for stewards. Stewards in what we have. And that's the blessing of walking with God. Now, it's a tough topic. (laughs) And I know from my walk in the Christian faith that I didn't have a godly attitude towards money. I know that the spirit of mammon had a grip on me. And it took me a long time to finally surrender to God and give God what was rightfully his anyway. I can tell you from my experience that prior to making that decision... I was coming undone, and I mean coming undone in terms of worry and anxiety and trying to pay bills and trying to make ends meet, and I was a ball of stress. So much so that when a prophetic minister came to our church, he called me out and he made me stand up in the meeting and he said, young man, your God wants to tell you, stop worrying about the money. And I was in Bible college. I'd made a step of faith. I'd given God everything. And I mean everything. I'd go anywhere for God, but I wouldn't let him have my dollars and coins. See the nonsensical part about it? And I struggled with that for years. And I finally gave God the right to have what was his anyway. Gee, that was big of me, wasn't it? 
But you get the point? It's, it's mammon thinking. It's worldly thinking that we'll never have enough. We will always have enough in God. We might not have our wish list, but we'll have our needs list graciously met. Now, I know there's many of you who faithfully, faithfully, faithfully tithe. And I thank you for that and I praise you for that. And I know that there's many of you that struggle with it. But you've got to get through the struggle and out the other side. If you really want to walk in the fullness of God, if you want God to use you mightily for his kingdom purposes, whether you earn 100 bucks a week or 10,000, you've got to learn to give God the first. It's just a basic principle of obedience. It's a basic principle of faith. And I know you will be blessed. I know you will. I have tested God. I did test him because I was struggling. I said, God, I'm going to test you on this. I want to know that my stress goes. I want to know that my bills get paid. You know what happened? When I finally made that surrender, stuff came from everywhere. Now, that might not be everybody's story, but we were going through Bible college. I was working three jobs. I was worried, but I started giving God what he required of me. Do you know checks started turning up in our letterbox, money in envelopes anonymously in our letterbox. People would leave food at our front door. We wouldn't even know who they were. A guy in our church paid, and I mean paid, to have my car serviced while I went to Bible college. I lived on the Sunshine Coast. I drove to Brisbane five days a week. That's a lot of kilometres. I did three head gaskets in that first year of college. He paid for every one of them to get fixed. Somebody paid for my fees to go to college. I sold my business. I got twice as much as I should have got for my business. <laughs> in the end, God was there. He was faithful. It works. Is it easy? It's not. It's not if you've got a worldly attitude to money. If you've got a godly attitude to money, it's still hard. But you give and you give cheerfully and you give knowing that the blessing is yours. The blessing is the church. Now, we don't give to the church because the church has a great vision or a little vision. or a, It has nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with paying anybody's wages. And if we can present to you the best vision that we can, you'll go, good, I'll sign up for that. It's got nothing to do with that. Wherever your local church is, you give to that. You don't give to a ministry outside the church. That's an offering. A tithe is to bring it into the house, the house of God. So I want to encourage you, wherever you make your spiritual home, give to God in that context. Because the overflow is that that church, if everyone gives what God asks them to give, is that there'll be a, a fullness instead of a scarcity. That's just the side blessing. And I don't think the church needs to go looking for money or preaching about money very often. But as a principle of our lives, can you see that if we get this right, it, it stands us in such good stead with God. If we get it wrong, then we can have all the other areas. That, now, if God had said to me, Mark, go to China tomorrow, I'd have packed up everything and gone. But do you see how nonsensical that would be if my finances weren't in the hands of God? It wouldn't have worked. And God did eventually say, Mark, pack up your family and go to Fiji and be a missionary. I could only do that because I'd tested God and I'd learnt the principle. And we went there with no income. We went there and we built a house. Some of you have seen that house. That is God's blessing. Why? Because we were faithful in little things and then God trusted us with bigger things. And I've told you before that I didn't have a job and I walked into a job there that I never would have seen. A part-time job that paid me extravagantly. Why? Because God said, here's somebody who's faithful. 
So I hope that makes sense. I hope you hear my heart. It's not a message of condemnation. It's actually saying if you struggle in these areas, you're always going to struggle until you tithe because it's a back-to-front kingdom. It's an inside-out kingdom. And we've got to break this attitude over our heart that's a miserly spirit because that's the spirit of mammon taking a grip on your heart and saying you can't, you shouldn't, why would you? You would because God asked you to. You would because God is generous to you. And you would because we want to have a generous spirit in our lives and give and give and give and give. I think God's pretty... You know, someone said to me once, I like this one, you know what we should do in church? We should make everybody pay all their wage into a single account and then we should employ an accountant and then when you come to church on Sunday, we actually give you a cheque for 90% of what you earn. So that guarantees the church gets their 10%. But then when you come to church, you don't have to give, you get. We'll give you a check. Steve, you've had a good week at work, mate. Here's your money. Had a good week at work day. Here, Dave, here's your bonus. <laughs> Probably back to front and a bit silly. But it would be better, wouldn't it? <laughs> We've just got to come back to this is about a kingdom. And this is about our king. And this is about our heart response to that king. I think God's very generous to us and I think we should be generous back. Why don't we pray? Father, I want to thank you that as we reflect on our lives in a culture that's very materialistic and very much wound up about what we have in our hands and what we have around about us, that Lord, we've got to move in the opposite spirit to that worldly philosophy. We are a people of faith. We're a people that stake our lives on trusting in the God who has promised us that he will not only bless us, but he'll protect us. We won't have our finances ravaged or devoured. You promised us that the floodgates of heaven would open. Why wouldn't we want them open? Only a fool would say no. So Lord, I pray today that that spirit of mammon would be crushed, would be broken and that people would be released and free just to do things your way, Lord God. Father, I know it's a topic that can grate. I know that church has a reputation for chasing money and manipulating people. It's not about that. It's about the whole counsel of God and getting fundamental things like our finances in right order so that the blessing to come can be far greater. And Lord, I want to pray today for those who are just learning about this principle, that, Father, you would teach them and train them to be faithful, that their attitude would be like the one that Paul asked for, that we would be cheerful givers because God loves a cheerful giver, not a resentful one. He loves us when we look at our finances and just goes, well, God, it's yours anyway. More than privileged and honoured to give you back ten. And thank you for the blessing of the 90 and how much further it will go. Father, help us to get that in our hearts and our heads that you are a God that doesn't want to rob us and take away from us and leave us with little. You actually want to bless us with more, but the only way you can bless us with more is if that we're faithful in the little. And so, Lord, drive that home in our hearts today so that we can honour you in every area of our life. Because, Lord, the full counsel of God not just tickling ears, but the whole counsel of God is to walk in truth and integrity. And Father, I pray today that we would do that.
And this morning I want to challenge you that if you're wrestling with this topic, I want you to be really honest with yourself because that's the only way you can have a victory in it. And if this is an area of your life where you know there is a bondage, there's a, there's a stronghold, there's a, an inability to do this and do it well, then I want you to stand up this morning and make a decision that you're going to do it God's way. See, by faith of giving, we break the curse. And this morning when you stand up and you say, well, I've heard what Mark has shared and I've heard what the Bible says, I know I wrestle with this, but I'm going to make a stand. You're really declaring that God is far greater than my struggle. So if this is an area in your life where you struggle, where you know you don't honour God the way that you should, I want to encourage you this morning, this is the moment that you make that decision to change. It won't get any easier. And we don't need to be looking around the room at who's standing. This is a, a personal thing. But I know from my own life and own experience, if we're not willing to make a public stand for God, we won't make that change. So Father, this morning, I want to pray for every heart in this place that God, you will release them from the ties that bind them to the ways of the world and that you will break the power of the spirit of mammon over their lives in Jesus' name. And Father, in its place that your spirit, your holy, all-powerful spirit would rest on all of our hearts and give us a godly attitude and a godly desire and a godly obedience and a godly faithfulness to the things that you've entrusted us with for your glory and your honour and your majesty. Because really, Lord, when we do these things faithfully, that's what it demonstrates to you. It honours who you are. And Father, we want to be a people that are known for being people of righteous living, obedient. Just like David said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which has cost me nothing. Lord, it does cost us to tithe, but you are so worthy and we are honoured. So Father, today, would you help us in our struggle? Father, for those who are faithful in this area already, Father, just continue to bless them and, and, and remind them of your love for them. And for those who are struggling, Lord, you still love them. Don't love them any less. But Lord, it sort of ties your hands up to bless them more. And so, Father, we break those ties that bind today and we loose them in Jesus' name and we release in the name of Jesus. And we ask, Father, that every one of us, every husband, every wife, every young adult, every teenager, that, Lord, we would be able to align ourselves and break the bad that's captured our hearts. Lord, may we all be able to declare today, my treasure is in God. My treasure is in my King. My treasure is in the one who gave his life for me. So Father, today we commit this into your hands. Thank you, Lord, that we can tackle a really tough topic because you're a God of grace. You're a God of patience that we've heard about this morning. And Father, you're not beating us around the head. You're just nurturing our hearts to be supple and submissive to a God who only 
always, ever, only has the best for us. I praise you, Lord God. I thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've modelled for us in your life, Lord. And Father, give us your strength, your empowering to walk in your footsteps, to build a kingdom that is built upon the faithfulness of the ones who love you. So Lord, we commit this into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.